I think it's 50 years ago since I first came here, and I can see some people who were alive with me then, and it's wonderful to see the young people that have uh, supplemented those who have gone before. Uh, when I, and I must say a great thank you to Claudia, who puts up with my lack of computer skills. And uh, when I gave her the text for um, translation into uh, Mandarin and the order of uh, uh, what I was going to speak about, uh, the title of my message was What's New? And uh, she said, should I put any punctuation marks in it? And I said, don't bother, but I ought to have said to her, uh, put an interrobang in. Anybody know what an interrobang is? It's when you put a question mark and an exclamation mark together after a statement. And the, in, the uh, question mark comes first, and the exclamation mark comes next. That's an interrobang. Now, I didn't intend to speak about the English language and its punctuation. Rather, I thought to myself that for 50 years I've been exhorting the saints in uh, Erendale, and I wondered as I looked at the uh, truth of uh, new the new year, and this is my first message in the new year, I wondered whether I should graduate a little and uh, look at a sort of panorama of the new things that Jesus introduced. It's a new year, and now I want to look at the new things that the Lord Jesus has brought to us in the New Testament and those things prophesied in the Old Testament. What's new? The first thing that I wish to suggest to you is that Jesus brought in a new Passover. You all know that uh, the first month in the Jewish year, according to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 2, Exodus chapter 12 verse 2 reads thus, this month shall be for you the beginning of months, it shall be the first month of the year for you. Now the Jews have two years, a, a, a civic year that begins later on in our uh, calendar, and Abib, which is the uh, month that is mentioned here as the first of the religious years, Abib, uh, which later, to complicate things, was uh, called Nisan, but it's the first year of the Jewish year. And the Lord Jesus attended the Passover feast 
as every godly Jew would uh, throughout those years from the time it was uh, of its inception uh, right through to the last occasion that it needed to be uh, celebrated as a feast from the Lord. We know from the Gospel of John that the Lord Jesus celebrated the Passover uh, on the preparation day, not on the actual day, but on the preparation day. And uh, he replaced the lamb and the goat with his own body. When he said, metaphorically, this is my body. Now, this is an amazing moment in the history uh, of redemption because he is about to replace all the sacrifices that were throughout the Old Testament. Thousands and thousands of lambs uh, through the sacrificial system and especially on the Passover. And listen, this is the new thing that he did. He uh, caused the sacrifices to cease by his one offering for sin forever. And he is introducing that when he says to them, in the Lord's Supper, or as it sometimes is called the Eucharist, don't be bothered about that word, it simply means thanksgiving, or the breaking of bread, or the Lord's Supper. This is, he began when he said, this is my body. And uh, I need to remind you that uh, this is not a, a statement that has uh, been without its uh, problems. In the Roman church, they actually believe that the bread that is in the chalice as it's held up is God himself. And in the missal, it says you look upon the chalice and you say, my Lord and my God. To me, that sounds very much like idolatry. But you say, how uh, can you say that when Jesus said, this is my body? Well, there are two ways to look at this, uh, which in my opinion uh, is an answer. First of all, when you have a pronoun such as this uh, and uh, uh, a noun, uh, this uh, with the word is in between. It's interesting for me as I look at the Greek text that this is neuter and body is neuter. But bread is masculine. So it's not saying that the body becomes, the bread becomes the body of the Lord. It's saying it's by metaphor or metonymy, it represents it. Now, if you don't like the uh, Greek understanding, let me put it very simply uh, in uh, plain English. When the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 speaks of the breaking of bread, uh, he says, as often as you eat this bread and do what? Drink this cup. Have you ever tried to drink a cup? It's very indigestible. But you say, Arthur, the cup represents what's in it. Of course it does. 
Just as the bread represents the body of the Lord, it is not literally the body of the Lord. His body, his resurrection body, is at this moment in the glory, and I will have something to say about that uh, later. And that wonderful moment when he in the upper room begins a new Passover, and uh, if you look, if you're not with me on this, turn to a couple of verses in the sacred book, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, and listen to what it says here. Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So Jesus replaces that Old Testament series of uh, animal sacrifices by being himself the Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. And it goes on to say, let us Therefore, celebrate the festival. That's the great thing about the Lord's Supper. It's a celebration of what Jesus did. And he himself said, uh, and this is uh, brought to us by the Apostle Paul, as often as you do this, you do show forth my death until I come. We celebrate the Lord in the Holy Supper. And this leads us, as we think of a new Passover, to a new exodus. If you look at why the Passover began, it was all because God was about to bring out a slaved nation. Uh, Israel had gone into Egypt, 70 of them, but they had grown and grown and grown so that the Pharaoh, uh, who later succeeded the friendly Pharaoh, uh, wanted to exterminate them. And thank God for those midwives who, and I still thank God for midwives, uh, um, one of them delivered my son uh, uh, with me assisting. And uh, these midwives decided that they wouldn't listen to the Pharaoh, they listened to God. And uh, Moses was born, and Moses took the people under God out of Egypt. He had a redeemed people, a people who were brought out of bondage. And this is the glory of the gospel. We now have a Passover lamb and a person, Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who has brought us out of the bondage of sin and death and Satan and the world. Uh, we are a chosen people. He chose Israel and brought them out. Now he has chosen uh, the church that he redeemed by his blood. And he has brought us through the new covenant uh, out of bondage and into the glorious liberty of the children of God. In the book that I wrote on hymns, uh, one of the reasons I put on the cover was that we would love the Lord Jesus more. And I'm trusting that as I tell you what new things the Lord has done, there will be stirred up in your heart a love for the Savior who died that you might be forgiven, as the children's hymn puts it. 
Now, the amazing thing to me, as I look at all these things, the Lord Jesus is in Jerusalem uh, keeping the Passover, and he is redeeming the people uh, of God from slavery under the new covenant. And I want to look at the new city. We've looked at the uh, uh, new feast. We've looked at the new exodus. What about the new city? Jerusalem today is a place of pilgrimage. And I'm often asked whether I've visited Jerusalem. I haven't had that privilege. Uh, but as I look at my Bible, I sometimes wonder whether people fully understand what they're looking at when they visit Jerusalem. Um, it's now about uh, uh, quite a number of feet or yards. Um, you see I'm old. I talk about feet and yards still. Uh, on top of the original Jerusalem that Jesus walked in. But listen to what the book of Revelation says in chapter 11 and verse uh, 8. 11 verse 8. I'll begin reading at uh, uh, verse 8. And their dead bodies, speaking of the two witnesses, will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called what? Now what would you imagine Jerusalem is called? Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. That's the Old Testament Jerusalem. That's the present Jerusalem. According to the Bible, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah because it crucified my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's get the perspective right. What is in the place of the earthly Jerusalem? Well, of course, the new Jerusalem, the new city, now we have a new Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem, with two further designations. When the writer of the Hebrews wants to talk about this great city, he can't just use one word to describe it. He uses three. And it is the place uh, under the new covenant rather than Sinai's covenant. Look at this glorious statement in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, and uh, a description of what is happening to us right now uh, as we worship God. Look at verses 18 through 24. You have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. It's speaking of the giving of the Ten Commandments in, uh, on Mount Sinai here. You're not come there with two stones telling you what to do. No, it's more glorious than that. They could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now notice the tense. It doesn't say you're going to be in Mount Zion. It says you have come to, Mar to Mount Zion. I know that there is a hymn, we're marching to Zion, the beautiful city of God, and there is a sense in which we are. 
I'm 89 in January. I'm getting near. I'm marching to Zion. But that's not what this verse says. It doesn't say that I'm marching to Zion. It says you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. That's the second thing. The heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I can see people here who have lost loved ones. They've gone to glory. They are in the new Jerusalem as it speaks here. We come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made Perfect. Your loved ones, if they have gone to be with the Lord, are in the heavenly Jerusalem, in the city of the living God. They are in Mount Zion. But further than that, we, in our worship, according to this verse 22, have come to Mount Zion. I think some of us are a little afraid of the term the communion of saints because we think uh, of people praying for the dead and things like that. But this is a glorious truth. As we worship now, we are coming to the new Jerusalem, to Mount Zion, to the angels, to our dead loved ones who are with the Lord. It's a glorious worship time that we are sharing at this moment. Now look uh, in confirmation of this to what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter and the second chapter and verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. This is Jesus. And those who ever believe in him will not be put to shame. There is a certainty about our traveling toward the heavenly Jerusalem. We are worshiping now as God as our loved ones, as the angels are joining us or we are joining them. But then, uh, as the uh, scripture has told us, we are also on the way to be with them in that glorious day. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And he goes on to testify that we are the Israel of God. Now, going further than this, we've looked at the new Passover, the new city, the new Exodus, the new Jerusalem. But what else is new? Well, the Lord Jesus is forever showing us wonderful things and he's speaking, uh, or the scripture speaks, of a new temple. I can remember preaching here when this last half was added. This is our earthly chapel, but there is in scripture... Uh, several insights into another kind of temple. Peter calls the elect in 1 Peter 2, 5, living stones being built together 
as a spiritual house. Let me read it again. This is a wonderful truth about you and me. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5 and going on into verse 6, we read, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, but now, don't you love that statement? Once you were lot of, uh, not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. And we are grafted together in Scripture with those godly Jews to form the temple of the living God, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look again at Ephesians chapter 2, that glorious chapter that is frequently preached on in, the, in evangelistic services, but it's more than that. In Ephesians and the second chapter, verses 16 through 22, I read these wonderful words, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone of this new temple by in whom the whole structure being joined, built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God has brought together a new temple which is truly Christ's body, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 27. So we now see in the actions of Jesus, uh, not only uh, that he came into Jerusalem on that uh, day uh, that we call Palm Sunday, but he did something else before, uh, after that time. Uh, you'll remember that uh, he cleansed the temple early on in his ministry, according to John, and then later, uh, and we can read about it in the 12th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 12, Jesus did something which at first we might misunderstand. We need to meditate, we need to think about what he did. It, it, he, uh, in that 21st chapter and verse 12, 
does something more than just get rid of greedy merchants. In the 12th verse, I read, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who did what? Who sold pigeons. Now, why is that important? Pigeons were a sacrifice. And he overturned them because he's showing that those Old Testament sacrifices no longer obtain. Why? Because he, the precious Lamb of God, I love to look at that that Bruce Francisco produced for us. The Lamb of God has replaced all those Old Testament sacrifices once and for all. In John chapter 2, the sheep and the oxen were driven out and these two were sacrificial offerings. Surely to us, was, he was beginning to show the abolition of them. The second cleansing of the temple and the miracles and evidence that he was the Messiah is seen at that time. And then comes his lament over Jerusalem and, listen, the destruction of the temple. The temple had been built at God's, uh, as a substitute or a, a further uh, building to replace the tabernacle, and the Babylonians destroyed it. So they built another one. And again it was destroyed. And during the time of Jesus, Herod was actually rebuilding the temple. And you'll remember the disciples on one occasion came to Jesus and said, look at these stones. And he said, everyone will be brought down. The temple will be destroyed. And in AD, chapter, uh, AD 70, the Roman armies came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple because of the judgment of God upon a disobedient and idolatrous people. But there's another temple, as I have just mentioned, that he is building today. And I ask you, are you a part of that temple? Both Solomon's and Moses' copies were destroyed, one by Nebuchadnezzar, the second by the king of Syria. Herod's rebuilding didn't stand. It was destroyed in AD 70. And in Ezekiel, there is a plan uh, concerning another temple and eschatology is divided on whether that is going to be a literal temple in the millennium. One thing I would disagree with, Dr. Schofield in his Bible speaks of an earthly temple with animal sacrifices taking place in the millennium and I must find that abhorrent. Jesus has died. Jesus has given one sacrifice for sins forever and he needs no further sacrifices either in the mass or in an earthly temple. The Old Testament temple demanded priests and a high priest and here we have more replacements. Here we have a new priesthood. Listen, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, it says of you and all God's elect that you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and we have a great high priest. Uh, 
to substantiate what I'm saying, let me go again to the Apostle Peter and in the first chapter of his first epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, we have these wonderful words that apply to us, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race. Listen, take in what God is saying to you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You say, I'm a, a woman. You're a priest along with the men. We are a royal priesthood and we have a great high priest. But let me go again to what it says in verses 9 and 10. Uh, that uh, it's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm going to tell you about yourselves in a moment in the next verse. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Doesn't it thrill your heart? Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy from him who loved us. And as I have said before, washed us in his own precious blood. Jesus is our high priest. We are priests unto God. The temple was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city, the city of David. He had uh, conquered Jebus and set up his kingdom there. Solomon established the kingdom and uh, started building the and completed a great temple. But uh, Jesus was rejected when he came to the Jews on that wonderful day and now uh, he reigns in our hearts in a new temple. And finally, there is a new kingdom. He began a new spiritual kingdom. You remember that Pilate acknowledged that he was a king, but Jesus says it's of a spiritual kingdom, not by the sword. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 11, we find confirmation of this. Matthew 27 and verse 11. Takes me a little time to get there, but that means that you can turn in your Bibles. Uh, this afternoon I'm speaking to a Chinese group, and uh, everyone under 25, there'll be 125 there, and when I preach, they turn in their Bibles and it thrills my heart that they search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. Matthew chapter 27. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. The Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. He didn't answer the Jews, but he did answer Pilate. And he showed Pilate, according to John chapter 18 and verse 23, who he really was. 
John 18:23 reads, When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? And he was being stricken, uh, stricken and struck because of his claim to be king, and this also is in the final judgment. There are people today who are denying that he even existed. But in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 40, in the word of God which we hold dear, uh, it says this regarding his kingship, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least, these my brothers, you did it to me. He is claiming to be king. And in the last book of the Bible, Revelation and the 19th chapter and the 16th verse, we have this glorious statement concerning him. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe, and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I hope like you, every Christmas I listen to the Messiah. King of Kings and Lord of Lords, hallelujah, and he shall reign forever and ever. We are need to understand that kingdom, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are are the same. Read Matthew chapter 19 if you don't agree and then look at some of the parables where one talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. If, as we showed earlier, that it's a spiritual kingdom we need, and we know that Jesus is king both and after the beginning of the earthly monarchy, Israel was allowed a king but they failed and now we have the king of kings and the lord of lords forever. And that leads me to a last statement, the new birth. In John chapter 3, it says you must be born again. And that is the new birth by the Holy Spirit. I well remember a woman asking me when I was delivering groceries to her, what's your birthday? They gave me a wonderful uh, opportunity to answer. I was born on January the 27th. 1933, and I was born again on November the 6th, 1949. And my challenge to you, as you've heard these new things about Jesus, are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Have you repented of your sin? Have you said to him, as I said to him in that day in 1949, Lord, take me and he did and my life was transformed and the Bible became a new book I'd never read it before except at school but suddenly it opened because the same Holy Spirit who gave me the new birth who wrote the scriptures inspired me to find in it what I've been now looking at for all these years the truth of the gospel so I ask again Jesus Having said, except a man be born again, he cannot even perceive the kingdom of God. I say, will you put your trust in him as your only savior and 
give you victory over your sinful nature, over the world and of the devil. May this one who brought so much new into the world make you a new creature or build on what he has done to make you what God wants you to be. He wants to fill heaven, the new Jerusalem, with people who remind him of Jesus. May God in his mercy so work in us that when God looks at us, he says, they remind me of Jesus. Gracious Father, bless, we pray, these thoughts stumbling as they have been and grant that the Holy Spirit will exalt Jesus in our midst and beyond to those who are listening and should there be any who have not yet confessed their need of Jesus, may you convict them by the Holy Spirit that they may see the need of escaping the wrath of God and come into blessing. We thank you for the one who said, Savior, if of Zion's city I through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. Amen. <laughs>